Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I pray, Lord God, that you would open our hearts so that we can hear your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, don't let us leave the same. Let us be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Psalms 37, 4. Psalms 37, 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. And then in Job 22 and verse number 24, 22, 24, this is Eliphaz speaking to Job, and we know that everything Eliphaz says isn't, wasn't always the best, but this I found to be really true. Uh, Job 22, 24, then you will lay your gold in the dust and the gold of Ophir among the stones of the brook, and yes, the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver, and then you will have your delight in God. So I have. So we several weeks ago uh, were sitting around the table, and we were talking about David, and among other things, and um, we started talking about. Uh, this verse, Psalm 46 through 8. Psalm 40, verse number 6. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written to me, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. And we began, ever since that conversation, I mentioned it that day, but I've been thinking about it ever since, about the word, it says that, speaking of of the way things were done in the Old Testament, that sacrifice and offering, he didn't desire. It, it tells me that that was never his true heart. The, the killing of, of, of lambs and goats and, and birds, that was never his first choice. It says, so sacrifice, in, in, in the King James, it says, thou hast not desired. In other words, it, it wasn't like it, he just changed his mind. That was never his first choice. But it says, of, and then this is a prophecy of Jesus, because it's quoted in the New Testament as well in verse 8, I delight to do your will, O oh my God. And so that word delight, I've, I'm kind of like a boiling pot. Phil, you know, I, I learned about Phil very early on in our relationship, that if you, even if you talk to Phil Sunday morning before he preaches, you won't get a word out of him. He like has this, he, he keeps it secret, then all of a sudden preaches it. And it, So one time he told me a little bit about a message he was going to preach, and I felt like our friendship had gone to a deeper level. But 
with me, I'm like a boiling pot. Whatever I'm thinking about comes out of my mouth. And so I've been talking to different ones of you. This has been, it's really been convicting to me personally as I've gone through the Bible and read different verses about the light, especially studying the life of David, I've realized what a key to our Christian life this is. What a key. It goes right along with what Phil's been preaching about worship. But it's, you know, there are really, I see this as something that can be a motivation for our life can be something that is like an engine that drives our Christianity. And so I want to define two words because I think that the difference between them is very interesting. The verb in the first part of Psalm 40 is sacrifice. And sacrifice is defined as an act of giving something up, something giving, giving up something valuable for the sake of something else. Uh, regarded as more important or more worthy. Some synonyms of that are giving up, abandonment, surrender, foregoing, renouncing, forfeiture, loss, relinquishment, abdication, signing away, yielding, ceding, waving, not like waving, but waving like getting, like giving your rights away. Delight, on the other hand, is a cause or source of great pleasure. And synonyms of that are pleasure, happiness, joy, glee, gladness, relish, excitement, amusement, to captivate, entrance, or entrance, thrill, and excite. And, and we see, even when we talk, we, we understand that there is sacrifice involved in the Christian life. That's not my point this morning, but even look at when it talks about Jesus' sacrifice, In Hebrews 12, it says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The cross, the the sacrifice wasn't the motivation. It was us, the joy. The Bible tells us that he sings over us. He shouts over us. He's joyful over us. And so I I think that it's, it's easy in our Christian life to emphasize one over the other. We emphasize the things we need to give up and the things we need to do and the things that we need to travail about and the things we need to renounce and get away from. And those things are true. There are things we need to get away from. But I believe one of the things I've, I've learned in this season of going through these verses, is I believe that that, all of that comes from a heart of delight. It doesn't come from a heart. We don't start with sacrifice. We don't start with getting rid of things. We don't start with this this depressing existence. We start with delighting in Him. And in in having joy in Him, I think we're going to find that all of these things have their place. But it's in that heart of joy. It's in that heart of delighting in Him 
that we find a place to live this Christian life. The one thing I want you to notice about delight, delight is not an intellectual thing. It's not something that we just have all the facts down. I delight because of this, 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 and this. Delight is an emotion. Delight is is a response to Him because of who He is to us. It's a response to Him because of all that He's done for us. And I think we want to be very careful that we don't... We've all heard teaching about how unimportant emotions are. Emotions aren't important. You want to push your emotions down. You don't want to express them. You know, the Bible says that the first and great commandment is that we would love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything, the the psalmist says, everything within me blesses your holy name. Delight is part of that everything. It's saying, I love Him so much. And it, it's, 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 it's not just thinking about it, it's expressing it. Charles Spurgeon said, they, speaking of people who don't delight in the Lord, pay to religion an observance of the character of a tax or a toll. In other words, they treat religion, I'm going to translate a little bit because it's a little bit uh, old English here. They treat their relationship with God as something they have to do. They pay to religion an observance of the character of a tax or a toll, which custom demands, but they, the free will offerings they know not. The loving enjoyment of hallowed fellowship they cannot understand. They serve God as Cain did, who brought, brought his offering, it is true, but brought it late. Brought it because it was a family custom, and he would not be outdone by his brother. He brought it of the common fruit of the ground, with a sullen and loveless heart, these Canaanites, or these Canaanites, bring such as they are forced to bring and mingle no faith in Jesus' blood with their offering. They they come with lead heels to the house of God and they go away with feathers on their feet. They serve God but it is either that they may gain thereby or else that they dare not do otherwise. The thought of delight in religion, and and here religion isn't like we use religion sometimes in kind of a derogatory way. Oh, I have a relationship with God. I don't believe in religion. When he says religion here, he's talking about our relationship with God. The thought of delight in a relationship with God, I just substituted that, is so strange to most men that no two words in their language stand further apart than holiness and delight. Ah, but believers who know Christ understand that delight and faith are so blessedly married that the gates of hell cannot prevail to divorce them. 
They who love God with all of their hearts find that his ways are of pleasantness and his paths are peace. Such joy, such delight, such overflowing bliss do the saints discover in their Lord. And so far from serving him from custom, they would follow him should the entire world cast out his name as evil. We fear not God because of any compulsion. Our faith is no fetter. Our profession is no prison. We are not dragged to holiness nor driven to it by duty. No, sirs, our religion is our recreation. In other words, our relationship with God is our recreation. Our hope is our happiness and our duty is our delight. This is a different way of looking at Christianity. This is a different way than just doing it because we have to. We do it because of who he is. But, you know, over the last months, we've talked over and over again about the cross and the work of Jesus and all the things that he's done. And I think that has served to remind all of us that our lives, the, what we have here together is all because of him. And because of that, our response should be delight. So what does delight in God look like? Zephaniah, first, the first way I want to illustrate that is how God delights over us. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will, he will quiet you with his love. And he will exalt over you with loud singing. I think that we, we know exactly what delight looks like. We know exactly what it looks like. Think of some things you delight in. Think of some things you enjoy. Give me a few of them. What's something that somebody enjoys? We enjoy our family and our friends. What do you do with family and friends? What do you do with family and friends? You're with them. You talk to them. You talk about them. You And I find that we know exactly what it looks like to enjoy a good movie, to enjoy uh, a good football game. We understand what it looks like to enjoy other things, but when you ask us what does it look like to enjoy the Lord, oh, well, we pray a lot, we, and we go back to what we do. Oh, then I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I think that's, that's what the Lord has convicted me that over the last five or six years, I've been forgetting. Enjoying the Lord isn't first about what I do. It's not about how I act. It's about how I relate to who He is. It's, it's, a, it's just, as a, you know, I, the other night, Corey, Corey is a little bit of a picky little girl. And Reuben one time told me, right after we had Corey, he said, if you treat them right, eventually they'll treat you right. <laughs> and I've, I've watched his girls spoil him rotten. So I, I'm trying now to really spoil Corey rotten. 
And, but the reason is, so she, we have a certain kind of diapers that we use when we run out of diapers for her. She really doesn't like those diapers. So about 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock one night, it was time for her to have another diaper, and she wanted her Mickey Mouse diapers. We were out of Mickey Mouse diapers. And so I already had my pajamas on. I was already in bed. I was cozy with my wife, and Corey needed a new diaper. I put my clothes on, and I went to King Supers and got her some new diapers. (laughs) I didn't do it. I didn't do it because I had to. I didn't do it because... I couldn't have made her wear the other diapers. She would have, and I could have talked to her. She would have worn the other diapers. I did it because I delight in her. I delight in her. I delight in all my children. I delight in my wife. That might come as a surprise. I know that I you know, don't talk about her all the time. And we were, I was having a conversation with Phil one time, and Phil says, you know, you talk about Betty a lot. <laughs> so you talk about things that you delight in. And in the way that looks for us is that as we're together, as we're alone, the thing that comes out of us is talking about who he is and what he's done. That it's not wrong to enjoy other things, but I think that, you know, the, there's a, a, the Westminster Catechism, which may be the, the only time you ever hear that quoted, here but one of the only thing that i remember from that from years ago when we went to a presbyterian church is that it's done in question and answer format there's a question and an answer and the purpose of a catechism is to teach children what we believe and the question is what is the chief end of man what's the number one thing that man is here to do Somebody else knows her catechism. Um, The chief end of man is man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I'm beginning to see that the way that, you know, Enoch, I've always thought it was interesting how the Bible talks about the walk of God that Enoch had. It says he walked with God and then he was not. And I've always thought about, I want to have a relationship with God where my life on earth is such that I'm walking with the Lord and then I'm walking with Him in heaven. And I think this delight that we have in Him is the way we do that. I talk about Him here. What do you find that they talk about in Revelations? They talk about the lamb. They talk about, it's, it's all they talk about. Do you have a crown? What do you do with the crown? You throw it down at his feet. This is, this is what it means to delight in God. And probably no other place is this illustrator, no other person is this illustrated more than in the life of David. I have been so blessed lately and actually throughout my life, reading through the Psalms and being challenged by David's life. The Bible tells us in Psalm thir- or in 1 Samuel 13 and in Acts 13 that he was a man after God's own heart. What do you think that means? That he was a man 
after God's own heart. It wasn't that he was perfect because we know he wasn't. It wasn't that he always did the right thing in every situation because we know he didn't. I believe it's this. I believe that he had this heart of delight in God. I want to go through a few Psalms very quickly. Psalms 30, and, and I'll, I'll, I have notes if you want to read these later, but I'll go through them quickly so you don't have to turn. Psalms 32, 11. Be glad and rejoice in the Lord, you righteous, and shout for joy, O you upright in heart. Psalm 16, 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Psalm 18, 1, I love you, Lord, my strength. Psalms 42, 1 and 2, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Psalm 66.3, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. Psalms 119.47, I shall delight in your commandments, which I love. That's how I want to live. I want my life to just overflow with that kind of attitude of delight in the Lord. Another quote from Charles Spurgeon about what this looks like. But there is a there is another wonder in our text, the text being Psalms 37, 3, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He's speaking of this. He says in our so there is another wonder in our text to worldly men that is of wonder as well understood, that is well understood by Christians. The text says he shall give you the desires of your heart. Why, the worldly man says, I thought religion was all about self-denial. I never imagined that in loving God we would have our desires. I thought that godliness consisted in killing, destroying, and keeping back our desires. Does not the religion of most men consist in the open abstinence from sins they secretly love. Let me read that one more time. Does not the religion of most men consist in open absence? The word absence means uh, abstaining from, getting away from, not doing. Does not the religion of most men look like they don't do things, they openly don't do things and are verbal about not doing things, but in their heart, they really want to do them. Negative godliness is very common in this age. It is supposed by men that our religion consists in things which we must not do rather than in pleasures which we may enjoy. And what I'm, what I'm contrasting here is what Spurgeon calls negative godliness. Negative religion. I don't believe that the Bible 
asks us to live a neg. We, we don't. We're not believers in a negative gospel. It's not all about what we don't do. It's not all about what we can't do. It's about what we get to do. We get to rejoice in Him. We get to re- we get to live for Him forever. To me, this is. I mean, it's just. It's. It's been so exciting. So what does it mean? So how does this change me? We, another quote, we do have joy. We do have delights such that we would not part with one ounce of ours, our joy, for one ton of theirs. Not drops of our joy for rivers of their delights. Ours are not tinsels or painted toys, but solid realities, our joys, ours are joys that we can take with us to our bed. I thought about Phil and his uh, his pillow worship. Ours are solid, re- our joys that we can take with us to our beds in the silent dust, joys that shall sleep with us in the tomb, that shall awake us in eternity, joys that we can look back upon, so that we live them over and over again in retrospect, joys that we can anticipate, so both here and hereafter, ours are not bubbles which only glitter to burst, ours are not apples of Sodom turning to ashes in our hands, our delights are substantial, real, true, solid, lasting, and everlasting. One of the early church fathers, St. Thomas Aquinas, said, No man can live without delight. That is why a man deprived of spiritual joy goes over to evil pleasures. We can have one or the other. We can have joy in the Lord, or we can have this negative gospel where we struggle over and over and over again. So I want to go back to the verse I started with. When I was going through verses about delight, this one stuck out to me and has caused me to meditate probably more than any of the rest. The verse in Job, if you lay your gold in the dust and the gold of Ophir among the stones of the torrent of the torrent bed, then the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver, for then you will delight yourself in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. I want to emphasize three parts of that. If you lay your gold in the dust, then the Lord will be your gold. And then you will delight yourself in the Almighty. This is where this delight has gotten really practical for me. I have spent a lot of time over the last year 
thinking about what I've lost. Friends, people, dreams, things that I, I've spent a lot of time looking at the things that are left in the dust. And I've realized over the last few months that that's not, that's not what the Lord had for me. That's not what we, no matter what we lose, whether it be friends, reputation, things we lose in grief, things we give up, any of those things we lose, the things we lay in the dust, we can sit there in the dust and cry over what we've lost, what we've given up. And you know, Christianity, a lot of times, we emphasize and testify about those things which we've given up for Jesus. And what the Lord has been reminding me of is that that's not... And Job is a perfect one to illustrate this. Job had lost everything. And yet his response was, naked I came into the world, naked I'll leave, blessed be the name of the Lord. I didn't have anything, I don't have anything now, but blessed be the name of the Lord. It was that delight in the Lord that got Job through what he went through. And each one of you also have gone through things. We've gone through some things as a church. And we can, we can sit in the dust and we can lament what we've lost and dissect what it looks like and ask ourselves what could we have done differently or what's going on. Or we can move on to the next part of that verse. If you lay your gold in the dust, then the Almighty will be your gold. And then you will have delight in God. If I choose to stay here and lament what I've lost, I will never move over here into realizing that what I have in Him is more than I could ever lose. Anything as a Christian that I give up, that I sacrifice, is not even worthy to be compared to the glory to the joy that I have in walking with Him. And so, if we're willing to leave that and move on to having, He's saying, He will be our gold. He will be what we have lost. And since, as, as the Lord has been renewing my mind to this fact, I found that in my own life, I'm not, I'm not living back there as much as I was. Yeah, I still miss my dad. He was like my best friend. I called and talked to him almost every single day. We talked about the most mundane, the most important and the most mundane things in the world. We talked about him all the time. 
I still miss my brother Caleb. I still miss Seth. I still miss people that we left behind. I miss that. But I find myself, as the Lord has lifted up my gaze to Him, I find myself no, not being depressed and down and concentrating on these things that are left behind, but to what I have to look forward to in Jesus. I want to encourage all of us. This is what's important. We will go through more hard things in our life before Jesus comes again. We will. But if we delight in the Lord, if we, if we, if everything, you know, if we are able to rejoice in Him and talk to each other about how amazing it is to serve the Lord, it's contagious. I bet you, in, in just in, in me talking, I know for me, there are certain people that come up in your mind that you think, oh man, that person has joy in the Lord. Joy in the Lord is contagious. I want more than anything else for my children to serve the Lord. More than anything else in this world, if I, if I die a pauper, and my boys and my girls are serving Jesus, I'll be a success. The number one way I can do that is by living a life of joy. Not a negative Christianity, a negative relationship with God, a negative thing about what I've left behind, but this joy like Jesus, for the joy that set before me endured the cross. We, we have in the Bible a picture of faith that's a race. When a runner's running a race, it's not about where he's been, it's that he can see the finish line. All his training, everything he's done, everything he missed out on, is worth it because he finished the race. And I think that if our children see that attitude in us. They see an excitement because you know what? My kids know what I'm excited about. You can ask my kids what it is that I'm really excited about. I can maybe fool you guys some of the time. I can't fool my children. And I think the closer we get to each other, we're going to not be able to fool each other. We want to have what bubbles out of us in hard times be Jesus. We want that delight in the Lord when a brother comes to you and says, man, I'm having a hard day. We can respond in one way or another. We can say, oh man, you're right. You really are having a hard day. Let's pray about it. Or you can help, you can, you can empathize with them and then take their gaze along with yours and look, turn your eyes to the hills from whence cometh your help. Because that's what it is to have joy in the Lord. That's what it is to delight yourself in God. That, that verse says, Psalms 37, delight yourself in God and He will give you the desires of your heart. The key is that He... He, as we delight in Him, He makes our desires His desires. And all of a sudden, there isn't anything we can't do. There's not anything we have to not do. Because 
everything we want to do is what he wants. That's that's what I want my Christianity to look like. I want it to change me so that what I want is what he wants. In closing, one more quote. You must take the word delight, spell over it, letter by letter, and then you must pray to God to put your hearts in the sweet frame of mind made up of the following ingredients. This is what we need. A perfect rest from all earthly care, a perfect resignation of yourself into God's hands, an intense confidence in His love for you, a divine love towards Him, so that you feel you would do anything, you would be anything or do anything for Him. And here's the most important part. Then there must be added to this a joy in Him. And when you have these, they must be all set a-boiling, and then, by His grace, you have delight in the Lord your God. That's what I want. I want my life to be characterized by that. I don't want it to be characterized by my past, what I've lost, what I give up, I want the gospel that I preach and the gospel that I live in front of you all and to my family to be a gospel of the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I think that as we do that, that will be the common thing among us. Reese and I were talking this week about about the things that can unite us as a church. You know, some churches are all united about the about all the doctrine that they agree on exactly the same way. And there's doctrines that we want to agree on. Absolutely. But what I want us to be united in, I think that if our hearts are united in delighting in Him, if our hearts are united in making Him first in all things, there, the gates of hell will never prevail against this church. We won't have time for all the side things that people get upset about, people get bogged down about. I want us to be united in Him and in our love for Him. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, Lord God, for this opportunity, Lord, to hear Your Word. I pray, Lord Jesus, that You would help us Lord, help us delight in you. Help me, first of all, to delight in you all the time. Not just when times are good, Lord, but all the time. I pray, Lord God, that this would be the signature of Redeemed Community Church. Those people delight in Jesus. I pray, Lord God, that that would be the spirit among us is a group of people who love Jesus more than anything else and delight in him forever. In Jesus' name, amen.